and welcome to another episode of Down in the Valley, uh, the Valleys and the whole Texas only RGVFC podcast covering not only the Toros, but also anything related to RGV soccer. So welcome everybody. And before we start, I want to go ahead and uh, take this time to thank uh, the beautiful game network uh, for all the help that, that, that they've given us. Uh, be sure to check them out on Twitter at uh, the BGNFM. Be sure to check out their website as well uh, at www.bgn.fm. While you're there, you know, check out all the, all the other podcasts uh, that are part of the, the Beautiful Game Network. Uh, you can find us there. You can find our, our podcasts uh, uploaded there uh, that you're able to stream it. But also you have other really, really good, um, really good podcasts uh, of other USL teams, you know, like uh, Rising as One for Phoenix Rising. You have the Unused Substitutes for the Tampa Bay Rowdies. You also have uh, Texas Soccer Radio uh, for our rivals, uh, San Antonio FC, uh, as well as uh, our friends from um, the Foxtrot podcast for, for the, uh, the new Fresno FC uh, team. Uh, so be sure to check out uh, this and many other uh, USL podcasts. Really, really professional. Really, really uh, informative. Be sure to, to support them as well. Uh, also support the BGN's uh, spon- official sponsor, which is Roughneck Scarves. Uh, Roughneck Scarves are the official uh, scarf supplier for the USL, MLS, and NCAA. Uh, so if you guys need any, any scarves to be made or if you guys want to purchase any scarves, uh, from any of, of the teams of these leagues, you can uh, you can uh, check out their website uh, at uh, www. Let me get you the. I was totally not. Prepared. All right, here we go. Nope. This is why I hate the updates. From kind of going in a whole parenthesis here, but this is why I hate the Windows updates. Um, here we go www.roughneckscarves.com. Be sure to check out their website as well. Uh, be sure to also check out our own uh, personal website for Down in the Valley. It's uh, downintherrgv.com. Uh, be sure to follow us on all our social media, Twitter at downintherrgv, Facebook as well, uh, Instagram at rgvfcfans where we help admi- administer that, that page. Uh, we also have, you know, check, us, check out our podcast on, on SoundCloud, uh, Google Play Store, iTunes, Stitcher, um, and like I said, in the Beautiful Game Network's uh, website. Having said all of this, I'm already thirsty, <laughs> but um, I want to I make sure we give a huge welcome to our co-host, Jacob Young. Jacob, how have you been this week? I've been pretty well. Uh, it's been a pretty good week so far, and looking forward to breaking down RGVFC tonight. Oh, definitely. I think it's... It's a really interesting week uh, for us to talk about. And why is my camera a little lopsided? <sighs> Anyways. All right, there we go. Um, so it's been, it's been an interesting turn at events. Um, so RGVFC played on Saturday uh, at home against uh, Portland uh, Timbers 2. And you, Cesar, and uh, Ray were there. At the game, I was uh, covering the the Dynamo game because uh, Generation Orange. Uh, but what were your first thoughts before we go into like uh, starting XI and and uh, deeper stats? What were your thoughts on this game? 
Well, I mean, it, it, it's tough to say that we played bad because, sure, we played bad in a sense that it, it just wasn't there for our team. But even after the game, hearing Jerson's thoughts of, well, we, we played, he, he even said we played solid. We had almost everything to give, yet we didn't take care of our opportunities. And they had one and boom, into the back of the net. So mm-hmm. they had everything there. They just didn't take advantage of it. And of course, Portland Timbers, they get, Portland Timbers too, excuse me, get lucky. Or not lucky, but just a breakdown of RGVFC defense once again holds them to a goal on a set piece. The our very good friends set pieces. I was I've been talking to Sean throughout the whole and talking to you guys throughout the whole season, and we always keep on coming back to defending set pieces, uh, even even on the attack set pieces really just isn't our forte and looking at looking at the the play i managed to see that play uh live on on the stream at the stadium before it kind of gave out um and it just it was just too easy uh for for the attacker for phillips to get the momentum necessary to run towards the ball jump uh, and make contact with it and able to beat Nico Cordy. It, the, the defending has has been kind of lax. And if I'm not mistaken, it was um, Omar Untiveros that kind of lost track of Phillips. And that allowed him to uh, to score. And if I'm not mistaken, I, was also, I also think that he had a previous... Uh, opportunity before, but this time it was, it it wasn't, uh, it didn't go inside the goal. So we had, you know, we had a warning from Phillips before, or from Timbers too, and then in the end, you know, with that, with it, with this set piece, we paid dearly, and we just were never able to catch up for the rest of the game. For sure, I mean, just one mistake, just like that, or not even. Well, yeah, a mistake just like that will cost us a game, yet we played fine. We had, well, I take that back. We didn't play fine because we should have won. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is just there's no reason for the way that we play. We did have some possession, and we had opportunities, but didn't take them the right way. We played tough against Portland, and, of course, not even bringing in the ref into this game because it was – an odd uh, refing situation as well, mm-hmm. but it's just, I, I guess it, it lost lust in a way. This team has lost lust. I think what it is, it's more along the fact that their morale is so low right now. Uh, talking to some of the players, I mean, you can tell, and especially with Chewy, and we'll see... We'll mention it uh, once we get to post game interviews. But if you listen, if you see their, you know their 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 facial expressions, you know their morale is low because it seems that nothing that they do is working. And once you start thinking that, it's very very difficult to jump back from it. I don't care how professional you are. I don't care. How um, much, how many years you've been playing professional soccer. 
But if you start as a human, if you start feeling like that, where you re- nothing you do is is working, it's it's really difficult. The only thing that's left is is continue to to work and hope that one that one day your efforts pay off. I mean, like I told one of the guys, I was like, you have to understand that soccer. I don't say it in Spanish because I don't know how to say it in English. El fútbol es muy caprichoso. In other words, uh, no, okay, soccer is very stubborn sometimes. No matter how hard you try, no matter sometimes, no matter how hard you try, uh, whatever you do, nothing's gonna, nothing right is going to happen. But it only takes one good little streak or one good little moment that you're able to make it, and that can be the catalyst to to turn this uh, to turn this this thing around. And that's what I told one of the players. And um, because I've from both of the players that I was been talking to, you know, privately, they're like, you know, the fans don't deserve this. You know, we're really trying hard to to turn this thing around. You know, we're we're, we're leaving everything on the pitch, but it just seems that not, nothing nothing that we do ha- has 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 worked. And so they feel like they're in debt to us as the fans. And it makes me feel it makes me feel good, because at least these guys are professional enough enough to care about uh, about how the fans feel. And number two, that they know that things are wrong and they're working to get it right. It's I keep on coming back to this, but it's a huge difference from last year, where no everything is fine. No, we're we're like we're conti- we're continuing to get better. Like even though we lost like what six two. <laughs> You know, and he and the Junior Gonzalez would say the same thing is the same cookie cutter sh- stuff. I'm sorry, I had to hold myself um, and say, no, we're you know we're do- we're doing good. You know, we're blah blah blah. Like, no, you're not doing good. Whereas this year, hey, you know what? This this is unacceptable. This I need to work on. However, there is there is something that I do want to point out. Uh, we'll see it later in the post game interviews. The reaction by Chuy Enriquez, and uh, I'm sure a lot of you will, will enjoy listening to what he had to say. But uh, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's go ahead and uh, talk about the starting 11 uh, for RGBFC um, the, and this game against uh, uh, Portland Timbers 2 this past Saturday. You have anything uh, before we go on? Do you have anything else to, to add? Uh, no, because like you said, we'll get way too ahead of ourselves, and I don't really want to do that just yet, at least. Okay, all right. So let's go ahead and start with the starting eleven. Like, like uh, we're back to our tradition. Uh, so in the goalkeeper position, you had uh, Nico Cordy, which I still haven't changed the U.S. flag to the Belgian flag on the card. So uh, please forgive me for that. Uh, but anyways, you know, Nico Cordy. Uh, no, I don't care. Windows ten, go away. Um, so Nico Cordy has been, I think, our most consistent player throughout the throughout this whole season. He's been making great saves. Uh, he's been uh, he's slowly but surely, you know, getting the the experience, and it almost feels to me you don't you see Nico Cordy play, and you would never think that he is a rookie uh, f- uh, in the professional level. Like he just seems so level-headed. Uh, he he's um, ma- you know making great saves, and um, it's really 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 sur- surprising that he has uh, 
mold it into into this obviously he still has a lot more development to do in some aspects but you know he's been making a lot a lot of progress to the point that he you can pretty much say that he has held on to to the starting position and is not going to let go exactly it, from the first game that i've seen him play this year to now is it, it's been unreal it's been amazing to see this guy grow so, so much compared to where he was even technically a month ago mm-hmm. we've seen him that he he's so like you said level-headed he knows what he did when he knows what he did wrong he tries to fix it and nine times out of ten he's able to fix it so it's really impressive he's not going to give this starting job especially the fact that given the fact that uh, our backup keeper hasn't really played that much that many games compared to him yeah definitely and once you start see, you know you start seeing this this chemistry between your back line and uh, your goalkeeper it's really a bad idea try to break it that's why last last week we kind of went on on a rant as to why in or was it two weeks ago as to why like the he the Jerson Echeverry changed three out of the four uh, defenders that held on to like a couple of clean sheets at home. Uh, but to be fair to Jerson Echeverry, he had to prepare the bench players to when um, the the Open Cup matches were going to be uh, taken care taken care of by the Dynamo. Uh, I mean, you saw from the you know from last week's episode that seven players were called th- at that time for to play against NTX Rayados. Uh, he had seven players uh, that were called up. Uh, uh, Connor Donovan was signed by the Dynamo. Um, and then Omar Ontiveros went up. Manny Padilla went up. You know, so you're talking about you're, you're pretty much the, you're best of, out of the back line that, that moved up uh, with, the, with the Houston Dynamo of your defenders. Um, and speaking of defenders... You look. Let's take a look. We had Manny Padilla, Connor Donovan, who was actually uh, loaned uh, by the Dynamo for this game, Omar Tiveros, and Kyle Adams. We have our big four. We had our big four back on the starting lineup, which made me feel good for, for the most part um, before the game started. And, I mean, you, I did tweet out saying, oh, like, we got the cream of the crop back in the defensive position. I was surprised. Um, and I know I'm pretty sure you were too as well, seeing the seeing this lineup, Jacob. Because if you recall, last week we were like, well, we were thinking of our starting eleven, and we we put in like players like uh, Sheldon Sullivan and uh, you know the bench players. And Jerson Echeverry surprised us due to the fact that he put in the, this this uh, starting eleven. I mean, Padilla played 90 minutes. Uh, Ontiveros did not play, uh, but Connor Donovan did play uh, 90 minutes as well, if I'm not mistaken. So I was surprised. That's all I have to say about that. Jacob? I was shocked as well. Of course, I didn't expect to see all four of them. I might have expected to see two just to keep, you know, that that um, maturity in that lineup in a way, if you get what I'm saying here. And, mm-hmm. of course, when you have veterans in that back of line, it's good. But I, like you said, we were all shocked to see all four uh, back. And so it, it created a good sense of hope, to be exact, for the start of the game. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that sentiment um, because I think what we needed was that back line to be, to be back. 
and uh, to try to to continue at least with some stability in the defense that had worked uh, for us so well uh, during during uh, most of the season. The fact that you know we've had a lot of shutouts and we had we've had low you know where teams don't really at home don't really score a lot against us. The problem is in the attack and in the midfield. You look at our midfielders, and we had John Montaño, roll eyes, Todd Wharton, Nicolás Perea, and Chuy Enriquez. Those were your four midfielders. Obviously, Todd Wharton, another surprise due to the fact that he also played 90 minutes against uh, North Texas Rayados the Wednesday before. Um, then you had Chuy Enriquez, who was called up but did not play any minutes against the North Texas Rayados. Um, and then John Montaño, who was also called up and uh, played like, what, like 15, 10 minutes around there uh, in the game. Uh, and so, as far as the defensive midfielders, looks fine. Because Perea looks good, like I mentioned before. Perea looks good when Todd Warden is beside him. Chuy Enriquez, he's got that spark to try to, to uh, turn the attacker, the defenders crazy. But John Montaño, like, really? Really, Gerson? I don't know what he sees in him, to be honest. And the people I've, I've talked to, RGB fans that I've talked to, can tell me the same thing. It just, it just, it just seems like, yes, he's big, but nine times out of ten, he doesn't know how to use his strength. Um, his, his, his touch can be bad. Not, uh, more often than not, his first touch is bad. Sometimes his, his, his passes aren't really that great. So, I mean, I don't know what you think, but is John Montaño even USL starter capable? If those of us who are, who are, who are watching us, listening to uh, this stream... Be sure to leave your opinions on the chat. We will be reading your opinions uh, in throughout throughout this uh, this show. Go ahead, G. I, I get why Jerson keeps on starting him, and this is the only reason why. Though it's too, it's almost too late to keep on doing this, considering that we need someone better. It's that he feels that Montano over time, remember, over time can get better. So starting him might be key. Yet. Like you've said, you and I have said, that's not enough. And we, we need somewhere better. And he is tall, and yes, he doesn't know how to use his strength. Guess who that reminds me of? That that sentence just right there. Georgino James. If we do recall in the years that he's been with the RGVFC Toros, he has started to learn how to use his uh, big body or j just his yeah, strength, mm -hmm. basically. But the fact that Jerson hasn't seen that yet. It's frustrating that Giorgino deserves a start, is my point. But, but it, it, that, that's the. That, that's a. I guess, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say here. But see, the, the thing about it is, I mean, you there's a difference between John Montaño and Jorginho James. Jorginho James is defensive minded. And Montaño, Montaño is, offensi is, is, is offensive. And so when you're supposed to be in charge of, of creation, you know, 
at least when you're a central defensive midfielder, you have another central defensive midfield to help you out. Or you'll have your, your back line there to help you out if, if uh, for some reason your, your, your attacker kind of gets, gets by you or something like that. But when you're the chance creator, everybody else is setting themselves up to receive the ball. It's all up to you. And if you lose, if you lose the ball, then you leave your, your, your teammates in a really, really bad, bad position. Or if you don't know how to cross or if you don't know how to pass and you lose the ball like that, that also puts things in, a, in, in an awkward position for, for your teammates. And so with John Montaño, they're really, or at least the leeway for a player like him is less than, for example, someone in the defensive position like Jorginho James. Now, why is Jorginho James uh, in, the, in, in the bench? Why is he not starting? Why is he not getting minutes? Simple. What I've been told is, He's not consistent. He's not consistent in practice. And many times we've talked, and Jerson Echeverry mentioned as well when we had the, the uh, interview with him. He said, whoever starts for the, uh, with, with my team, with my squad, are the ones that put, out, put the work in practice. And Jorginho James, as I've been told, one 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 time he you know he can play really really well, and then the way the way the the way the person who told me uh, kind of explained it to me, another day, it's um it seems like he doesn't know how to how to uh, pass a ball, you know that that big inconsistency there is something that that uh, Jerson Echeverri doesn't like from Jorginho that maybe Nicolas Perea is more consistent. Todd Warden can you know, obviously, you know, he's, he's the captain. He's, he, he's really, really good central defensive midfield for the USL level, you know. But John, but then there's this inconsistency. Okay, Jorginho James, he's inconsistent on practices. And yet, Montaño, maybe he's more consistent in practices, but by the time he, he steps foot on the pitch, seems like he forgets everything that he's learned uh, from practice. Okay, I, I can see that now, of course. Uh, but, yeah, it's Montano, I guess, right now, we're seeing... It's like you said, he sees something in Montano during practice, but there's nothing, I guess, when he gets to the pitch, he just gets nervous. Guess what? There's... Close to 3,000 less fans in the stands than last year. This guy should be fine. If you're in a US, if you're with a USL club, you've got to perform. You've got to perform well when you're starting on a pitch. It, it, it's just simple as that. But yet this guy, I guess, hasn't learned that or something. Yeah. So Wonderful Sloth says uh, he thought that Donovan was a surprise for him. He felt that John Montaño has ha had a horrible performance but he's in your, he's in your in your camp. He says I want James to get more playtime. He has a good power shot like that goal against Sacramento Republic, and he has many other instances. I mean, against Seattle Sounders too last season, uh, he he scored a you know a really outside the box uh, goal you know against uh, Seattle Sounders uh, too that was snubbed for goal of the week, and I feel that a player like him can be necessary to break down defenses, especially if, they, if they're holding themselves back. What are the, and I'll say it again. 
What are the best ways to break down the defense that are parking the bus? Two things for the, in general. One-two passing and shots, from, and shots from outside the box. Sean, what's going on? <laughs> and a Tomas Martinez. Or a Tomas Martinez with, with the dribbling. <laughs> yes, we talked about that yesterday. I, I heard you say Montano, and I just had to come out and you know remind everybody that I said in preseason he was a crap player. <laughs> Did I not call that out like five minutes into that match? Yeah, but then but then again, including myself, we were like, okay, it's preseason. There, he has you know an opportunity to learn and grow, but yet we have not seen any growth from John Montano. And then what surprised me more is the fact that he got called up by the Dynamo, you know, to, to play an open cup. I'm not going to say what, I, what I'm thinking. <laughs> no, I can't. I, I can't. I can't. It, it's no, it's it's too. Because then I'd be I'd be jumping into conclusions or, or for making accusations that have that I really have no basis on. So I'm just going to leave it at that. We call that speculation. Speculation. Yeah. So moving on, we've talked, we've talked about the midfielders. In the attack, you had Matias Aldivar, who also played a couple of minutes, like 25 minutes in the Open Cup match. And Aldo Quintanilla, el compa Aldo Quintanilla, who played 90 minutes in that match against North Texas Rayados and was able to get a brace, two goals. In that open cup match. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, Quintanilla and Zaldivar, that, those were the perfect attackers in a way to put. Uh, you've got a perfect striker. Yes, he has played 90 minutes and has come off of a plane from Houston. And mm-hmm. then, of course, is playing 90 minutes again on Saturday. And he was fine. He, he looked good. He looked comfortable. But, of course, we really could never, RGB, in my opinion, could never really get the ball to him. Yet he's been fine, so that's why he's been the striker. And then Zaldivar, same deal. If Zaldivar and Quintanilla can find a way to get into the middle and get a good shot off, then I think these two can be lethal. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of, the, one of the things that I mentioned to, to the players that I was talking about, uh, talking to in, in social media, is the fact that you know this. This is going to be a process with within these these players. They still have to lo- learn more about each other, because this is a completely brand new squad. In the beginning of the season, they you know they knew very little about each other. They're learning more and more how each player reacts on the field. But they still need you know still need that time to adapt. What do I mean? For example, there's got, there's a there's a certain relationship that all. Uh, attackers, wingers, and uh, and and strikers, uh, in specifically, have to reach some sort of synchronization. What do I mean? For example, if the winger grabs the ball and is able to get past the attacker, he knows he'll know by nature where his striker is going to be and where he can place that shot or, or where he can place that cross with enough advantage for the striker to just slot it home. Without even ha- sometimes without even having to look uh, up at the at the direction, he'll know, he'll know he'll pass it there because he'll know that my my attacker is going to be there waiting for the ball or is going to make the run towards the ball to meet the ball there. Also for the striker, the striker 
Maybe he's not in their position, but he knows that that he's going to make the run towards, let's say, the the penalty spot or the second post or the first post, wherever. He's going to make the run towards there because he knows that he knows that that the, that the winger is going to place the ball there and he can take the the shot towards the goal. That's the level of synchrony that they need. That's that's what they need. That's what they need to work on. It's getting a little a bit better, but the wingers need to work on uh, to be more precise on their crossing, and that includes uh, the uh, set pieces as well. Of course, we haven't seen. We haven't seen our team really take advantage of those because it it just constantly goes game after game. We have almost double of what our visitors have or the home team has or whatever. It's frustrating. We get those opportunities and we can't put those away and just very, very frustrating constantly. Yeah, no, I mean... You gotta have you gotta have patience. The players have to have uh, patience on that as well. The fans have to be patient uh, about that because the the development is going on. Like and I also said, you know, um, Rome wasn't built in a day. And so, if you give these players uh, a continuous continuous minutes, not only this season but leading into next season, we might we might start seeing every little piece of the puzzle fit in snugly together we might see we might see a better uh better rgbfc a better you know that will take advantage of the chances that because they do have a lot of attacking chances but they still haven't gone been able to be as synchronized where it will be just as easy to slot it to slot it home uh for for the goal uh, and so there might be some pieces that we might need to add for next season you know Never, never. I'm not saying that there isn't, specifically in the wingers, but we uh, there is potential in this team. Just kind of be patient and don't take out your anger when you know because the results aren't there on on the uh, on the players. They're trying their best. Um, yes, we can go ahead and we can say okay, well, we need this and need this, uh, but for the most part, for most of the players. You see, you do see some. You do see that that improvement from day zero to where we're at right now. It looks like you want to say something, Sean. No. <laughs> Jacob. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with that, of course, because it, it's true. Yet, though, of course, for this season, I'm just gonna bring this up. It has been more than. Uh, it's been past halfway, basically, for this season. Mm-hmm. Yes, I understand this season is most likely going to be another bust, and that's okay uh, for the fact of, like you said, as long as we can get those things to be improved the following season, then I think we can have a solid team. Like I said, our front line can be lethal once they get to know each other even more. And, of course, yes, those set pieces, guess what we're lacking on? It It, it is height, and that's in my opinion, why we did also give up that set piece on on last Saturday. Because if you didn't notice the PTFC2 team, they had a lot of height advantage over the RGVFC Toros. I want to compliment your, uh, your, your, what you just said right now, your take on this. Because I want to compliment it with a stat. Aerial Duels won. Between RGVFC and Portland Timbers, 66.7% Portland Timbers 2, 33.3% RGVFC. 
that pretty much for the most part can tell you that yes, we are at a significant disadvantage, not only strength wise, but height wise, you know, uh, against this team that we weren't able to win any uh, or very few aerial duels in this match. And th that was pretty much the difference between getting a draw or getting the win and what we actually got, which was another loss. Yeah, it reminds me of this. Have you ever gotten to see um, a regional, a regional soccer playoff with high school soccer in, like, let's say, ladies high school soccer in Brownsville? Because mm -hmm. um, I remember watching my sister. They were playing against um, San Antonio Reagan. San Antonio Reagan. They are huge. Like it, it's it's a ridiculous size difference. And they came out, they luckily only lost about one or two nil mm -hmm. in that game, but it was because of size and strength and endurance-wise that they had over a team like uh, a team in the Valley. So it, yeah. once again, it's almost like that. Yeah, and you see it in American football as well, you know. You know I mean, you've, you're, you're from Memorial. I was, in, I was from Memorial as well. And so our, the Memorial was all consistently, consistently making it to the playoffs, but once they got against like the San Antonio teams, is it was like they were completely annihilated more often than not because they're faster, because they're bigger and bulkier. And so this is this is uh, but, but the question. Less, oh no, I wasn't going to sneeze. I've got phlegm building up here thanks to allergies. Um, the question is why? What is what? What is it that? You know, it's why traditionally speaking, because I've seen it and I, so I know it's true. Traditionally speaking, why are kids, youth in that area typically smaller, not as bulky, not as fast? There should genetics. be just as many athletes coming out, though. It's genetics, man. Okay. I mean, for the, for the most part, the Hispanic population, especially in the Valley, Really isn't that tall. Okay, I mean, I'm, but now I'm, I'm gonna, average sized yeah. in the valley. And now I'm gonna. I'm, I'm gonna, five seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna reverse this on you now too. That actually should have zero impact on RGV itself, the no, Toros, because how many of those players are actually from no, the valley? No, what I'm. And, and I, I know what you're trying to get at. You were yeah, using that as an example. It's an example. And yes. I, but I'm just. I'm just saying. It's interesting to me that that's a. It the. The issue is still there, even though it's not an arch, not, not a not a valley issue mm -hmm. per se. But um, I mean, if you look at the Dynamo, it, it's kind of not a it, it's kind of a trend there as well. We're not, especially in the midfield, uh, unless Cabasis is in. Yes, we're typically not winning headers in the midfield. Uh, we're not winning headers up front with Morrow. That's for darn sure. Mm -hmm. um, and so. You know, I kind of think that, um, you know, when it comes to USL, you have to sacrifice some part of the game. There's some part of the game that you're not going to be good at. Um, and by sacrificing that part of the game, you're looking at other areas that you want to be better at than some other teams. And so you look at like a Quintanilla. He doesn't have that height necessarily. But what does he have? He has that technicality and he's got that ball control. Mm -hmm. And defenders can't handle that. They're going to beat him on the header on a, on a set piece, on a service into the box, but they're not going to beat him. I mean, or he's going to beat them in yeah. the run of play. So 
Um, just want to say this comment says also in the first half in every corner of every cross, the players kept sending the ball way over. Yeah, that does not help at all. Yeah, no. When your service is crap into the box, it doesn't matter how good your players, are, how, <laughs> how good your offense or, is, or I how mean, tall they are. Yeah, I mean, shoot. I mean, uh, Colorado has a has uh, Axel Schoeberg, and he's six three, six four. I mean, mm-hmm. no, he's taller than that. He's like six seven, six eight. The guy can play basketball. He's huge. Yeah, and. I think he scored a grand total of four goal, header goals in or set piece goals in his career with Colorado. But he's yeah. actually a very good header player. But because they don't have good service into the box, he's never mm-hmm. getting opportunities. Now, so that need, so that leads me to to my take on all of this. Just imagine if Lunkovic was still with you guys. You'd actually have somebody who could serve the ball in the box. Well, we might we might need no. Somebody. He's not coming. No, back. no, no. I was going to say we might need somebody to teach. Oh, these players no, how to cross. Very true. I think that's what needs very, to happen. Very true. It's too bad Vicente Sanchez didn't want to come back because he would have been the perfect player to to send to RGV for a few months to yeah. or a couple months to. So just... that's one of the things my dad's been telling me. I think that RGV EFC needs someone with a lot of experience, like Vicente Sanchez. Like we said, we to, said that to help develop this. We team. said that what three games into the season? Yes. Uh, on the show that uh, on your show actually. <laughs> Uh, that, uh, you know, one of the things that would have been very good, um, and it might, maybe it's during the summer transfer window, um, for RGV to find or, or acquire or sign, uh, or trade for, uh, a player that has veteran experience in the attack. They don't have to still be a superstar in the attack, but you want somebody that at either, either at one point had that quality in their, you know, they were that good of a player, or you want somebody that, they're veteran enough to have that leadership. Um, you know, I mean, we were talking at that point, and our your most experienced player in the attack was Victor Garza. Yes, and that's not going to win you games. And now he's injured. And now he's injured. I mean, but he can still provide the leadership from the bench. Mm-hmm. But they had, you know, but it, it it's you need somebody on that pitch. And you need somebody, leader. and you need somebody that has a lot of a lot of years, not just two, not just three, in the USL. Yeah. Be, uh, that is able to grab these kids and like, okay, they have need to, learn. to calm down. Well, and, it, and not just that, and you kind of mentioned it about the whole practice thing. That comes from learning from veterans how to be a professional on, off the pitch, in practice, etc. That was something that was said continuously throughout the season, the last season, by Dynamo players, especially the young ones, mm-hmm. that Vicente Sanchez taught them how to practice, taught them how to be a professional player, match in and match out, because – it didn't matter what it was. It didn't matter when it was. He was always game ready. He was always match fit. He was always in that moment. He was, you know, in that mode. He was never, he was never caught flat footed at an opportunity. Yeah. But I think another, another kind of suggestion that I want to put out, I don't know what y'all think. And let, let me know if you agree. Let me know if you disagree, Jacob and uh, Sean. So if you already have Quintanilla and we know his, his traits, his qualities, are ball control and the technicality and maybe even the speed. Yeah. Why not evolve your tactics around that? Because I feel that RGVFC is relying too much on getting the ball towards the wingers and crossing it in. Aldo Quintanilla is not going to help you like that because he's not, he's not tall enough. And your crosses are never great. Why not? I mean... Yes, it was against an amateur team. But did you see how many, how many through balls either Eric or Wharton were giving t- uh, to, uh, to Aldo Quintanilla? That's what needs to happen. I think they need to stop relying too much on the wingers 
because you're overworking them as well if you're relying too much. And also, your 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 opposing defenses see this. Oh, they rely on the wingers, and they're gonna spread. They're gonna spread them out, it's and a, it's or a, or come in with two or three against Chui. You have to um, as an offensive as an attack. You have to keep defenders honest. Um, if you think about you know, and, and me of course, my best correlation, and everybody hates it, but it's the Dynamo. Um, is last season the Dynamo when uh, defenders would shut down the wings, they didn't have an attack usually mm-hmm. uh, because they had nothing through the center of the pitch, um, and uh, and that's exactly what I see at RGV. Um, and it's not that they don't have talent in Quintanilla, but it's that when they shut down the wings, it's him by himself. So defenders are coming to him now Mm -hmm. and they're still able to exclude the wide game because the service into the box isn't good enough anyways. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's as much about evolving tactics throughout a match. It's okay. If you want to come out with that same tactic to start the match, but if you see that tactics not working, you can't stick with it. You have to be willing to evolve your game plan during a match. How many times have we seen Wilmer shift the formation or shift players around or have the wingers switch sides, have Kyoto and Elise switch sides yeah. uh, in order to find a better matchup against defenders? How often does that happen at RGV? Jacob, I say I've seen zero of that. And that falls on coaching. Jacob, have you seen any, uh, any uh, modifications like that, like he's describing? No modifications like that at all, either. I mean... I've seen it's the formation always, say exactly the same. Yeah, it's always and, been player for player. Like substitutions are always player for player. And I, I, I do wonder if that may be a decision on Gerson's part to, to give actually to defend Gerson because, like I said, I really like the guy. Yeah. Um, as a as a person and as a as a as a staff member, he is fantastic. Um, but maybe the thought process there, playing devil's advocate, is these players in their young age and in their immaturity soccer wise. Um, they haven't figured out base formations and base, you know, how to play tactically within this one formation and how to play tactically within this one style. So maybe he feels like they're not football smart enough to do to be able to do variations. Wilmer said last season that they started the season consistently with that same formation and then built upon it <clears throat> once the team kind of figured it out. If the players at RGV aren't figuring it out then throwing another formation and trying to throw other tactics at them may actually make the situation worse mm-hmm. because then you're going to have players completely out of position. You're going to have b- passes that don't go to anybody, which I know you have now, but now you're going to just – that's every pass. Yeah. You know, so maybe that's some of the thought process there. Like I said, playing devil's advocate uh, no, to no, my own have, question, which is funny. But you, No, you, you, I, you have a point. I mean you, you have a point, and, and it goes to back to the point that – these players are technically inexperienced, yep. and all of that knowledge, soccer knowledge can only come through uh, through minutes, more minutes uh, being played in, in the USL. Absolutely, and consistent uh, consistency in lineups helps that too, mm-hmm. because you you build the you build the confidence, you build the chemistry, you build that um, rapport and that understanding between players, that chemistry between players uh, by cons- consistently playing with them. Um, and, you know, we see Wilmer, and he's kind of the antithesis of that. He believes that players just need to be rested and they can figure out chemistry on the pitch in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the heat of the moment. And thankfully the Dynamo have been able to make that work sometimes. But 
Um, consistency is is key, um, especially if you have inconsistent players, uh, because you know it, it just. I don't know. Consistency is key in lineups, especially at that age level, at that talent level, uh, because it begins to develop that comfort level with each other to be able to extend yourself beyond that small circle of comfort that you currently have. Mm -hmm. So tactically, if I know that my forward is going to be making the, the same run every time, now tactically, mentally speaking, I can think through what other passes I can make, what other moves I can make to free him up from his defender to pull a defender away from him. Maybe I, instead of going outside, I cut inside on him and I let the forward continue to make that same run and just chip it over the defender because mm -hmm. the defender is going to come out to me. He's not going to stick with him. Yeah. So it's those types of things that you can develop over time that you can develop with familiarity with each other. And I just don't, and, and, and maybe it's not Gerson's fault. Maybe it is. Because maybe he's kind of his hands are tied as far as lineup choices, but all the same, the more consistency you can have, the better. And I, I do want to go back to one other point real quick that you had made right before I came on about um, you said you were talking about uh, George, Jorginho James yes. and his lack of consistency in practice. Mm -hmm. There are, <clears throat> and it's rare, but there are players that for whatever reason. They are pressure players. They are players who their game, their, their level of intensity and their level of game increases when the pressure's on, when they're in higher pressure situations. Mm -hmm. In a practice, that's not high pressure. So there are players that just, they can't find that extra gear during practice. I wonder if Jorginho James may be one of those players because in game situations, he's one of the better RGV players consistently during games. Yes. So... Maybe he's not a practice player. There was another player like that for the Dynamo. Unfortunately, it was Kubo. But he was one of those players. He didn't ever bring it in practice. He always, he always brought it in, in game situations. In the beginning. If he brought it at yeah. all. Um, and so... You, I, know I who just, was, you know who's like that in, in world soccer? Balotelli. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Absolutely, 100%. Um, and there are other players like that too. Neymar doesn't bring it in practice. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and it's just important to keep that in mind. Um, and you know, cause coaches, I think have a tendency to look at practice as this is my measuring stick. And I think for some situations that's okay, but I also think coaches need to give opportunities for players to say, you know, Hey, I am that kind of player that I'm not going to be great in practice. But if you keep giving me consistent opportunities during matches, you'll see that I am that type of player when it comes to crunch time. Mm -hmm. And what you see on the opposite end of that is players that are really good in practice. They bring that intensity and bring that level in practice. And then you get into a match situation and they're lost and confused and they can't figure it out. It's like they wilt in those pressure situations. So there's kind of a give and a take there. And so I, I, I say that because I hope Gerson does not rely completely on what he sees in practice. And you have a phone call. That's right. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, continue. It's still a phone call. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to answer. Uh, so anyways, Jacob, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on that, uh, especially since you guys actually had already talked about that. Um, but just from that, that aspect and that kind of thought process. 
I think you hit it pretty well, considering the fact that you're saying, yes, even though you're not going to do that well at practice, you can probably do really well during the game. And of course, just like you said, the wilting, or, yeah, the wilting analogy is perfect, because it's like stage fright. It's the same exact thing. You, you're, you're doing well in front of your players and coaches, but game during game time, it's a totally different thing. I mean, it, it was just like me. Um, with, so I played golf for my high school, and it was fantastic. But I would always do really well with, you know, just hitting the ball at the range or something like that. But then when it came down to playing holes in groups, I would suck. So it, it came down to pressure situations. It just did not work for me. So I think, yeah, as long as he doesn't rely on that, but if he were to give players a try with that scenario, you'd see maybe a different scenario. Absolutely. And and you don't necessarily want to go that with every player. Um, you don't want to necessarily make that the norm. But if Jorginho James is one of your top two or three center midfielders, defense, you know, defensive midfielders, and the ones that you are playing consistently in matches aren't cutting it, then at some point you have to say, okay, Jorginho, I'm going to give you that opportunity. I know you're not performing in practice, but I'm going to trust you as a player, as a veteran player at this point, to show me that you deserve this continued opportunity. Um, And I really wish that counted for something too. Let performances match over match count for something as much, if not more than, you know, performance and practice over practice. Because in match situations, if the guy every week is coming out and giving you everything and he's showing in a match every week that he's one of the better players on the pitch, then pulling him off because he's not performing in practice is a short-sightedness on the, uh, on the side of the coach. Yeah, definitely. So uh, Ray is, go- is actually on right now, but we're going to go uh, on break uh, for the, the 8 o'clock um, right now, in a couple of minutes, we are going to have uh, uh, Greg Luca, who is a reporter for the Monitor uh, newspaper in the Rio Grande Valley. We're going to have him on live on the show. We're going to talk more uh, more stuff about the Toros. We'll talk about World Cup, which starts tomorrow. And we're also t- going to talk about uh, some Open Cup stuff. Why? Because there there's some information that uh, I have received uh, t- uh, today that I really want to 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 bring up yes so uh, we'll be we'll be back in just a couple of minutes uh, don't leave just yet say you won't leave me I know it's too easy to run away to run away I know you wanted this I never wanted this to end But now we're going down Whoa Picking up the pieces That we left here We just left here And welcome back to the second part of uh, today's episode of Down in the Valley. Once again, my name is Edson Ochoa, and right now I am accompanied by Sean Ringrose, my co-host Jacob Young, Ray Silva's on the line as well, and we also have Greg Luca, as we promised. Greg Luca, reporter for the Monitor newspaper in McAllen, Texas, is on the show to talk about the Toros. How are you doing, everybody? Good. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, yeah, no problem. Um, 
it's it's something that we've been trying to uh, well actually Ray's been planning uh, for for a while and it's 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 excellent that, that we finally uh, we're finally going to have you on so um, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about this this current the the way the Toros have been playing in in these last couple of games we've talked about it many times on the show but we're interested to see what your thoughts are on on the on the Toros. Yeah, it's a little bit hard to get a great read on it. I feel like their record is a little bit deceiving. They probably aren't as bad as the record shows at 1-5-7. and seven. But the things that they keep doing wrong every week are leading to the results not being there. Things like set pieces. We've seen early in the season they conceded a lot on set pieces, and then this last weekend we saw that they couldn't convert anything on set pieces, which really hurt them. Mm-hmm. And it's strange to see every week it feels like they do pretty well with passes, they do pretty well with possession, they get a good amount of shots, but they aren't able to find the finishing touch, and it leads to the results not being where they feel like they should be. It makes it tough to even do the interviews after the game, too, because it's so repetitive. They're, they're clearly frustrated, and they don't know what to do to fix it. But there's just no answers at this point. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, we do, ha- we do have the audios from those from those interviews, we'll, we'll go ahead and play them later on. So that way, the people, the our audience can listen to exactly what you're what you're telling us. The fact that you can you can tell just from their voice how you know desperate they are to find a, a good uh, a good result, uh, not only for us but uh, as well for their performance as well. Uh, but in your in your opinion, which one, which player? has been your standout the, uh, for these couple of games? You know, it's probably too easy to say this just because he's the leading scorer, but for me, the name that jumps out is Alba Quintanilla. Obviously, he scored four goals, which is tops on the team, but more than that, I've been impressed with his ability to create chances, some of the dribbling moves he's shown, even some of the services he's delivered when he's been asked to do that as well. Mm-hmm. For a guy who made the team basically as a local tryout, it was not much really expected from him, at least from my perspective. But as he's gotten into better shape through the season and gotten more used to playing as a part of this team and this organization, we've seen him produce at a level higher than I expected. And if you think about where the offense is overall and you take out a guy like that, they'd be in really rough shape. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we saw it against Real Monarchs where, I mean, Aldo Quintanilla did not play and really there was there was nothing that was created uh, on the offense. Yeah, I mean, that game was tough because obviously Real Monarchs is such a strong team and they were out so many of their top guys. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Jesus Enriquez is a big loss, Chewy, when he's not there because he's the type of creative player it feels like they need who can sometimes on his own create a chance or create an opportunity. We haven't seen that converted into too many goals, but he has that talent. So a guy like that not being there is, is critical, and Valdivar's shown a lot too. So, and him not him being with the open cup lineup is tough as well. Yeah, definitely. Ray, do you have a uh, any any questions? I have some more. I just need to type something on on our social media. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it's just something that uh, unfortunately that I kind of have to side with Greg Luca on his opinion. So about the Toros, I mean, uh, he even. Uh, Part of the defensive line, like uh, Connor Donovan, Kyle Adams, uh, have been players that have stand, uh, standed out despite some of the glaring mistakes that they've had in the past. But 
they've been able to somewhat clean it up uh, over the last few weeks uh, defensively for the Toros. Yeah, yeah. I think the defense hasn't really been a concern from my perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, they've conceded some here and there, but I think if you look at the quantity and quality of players they have back there, even without Donovan, it seems like there's guys that they'll be able to slot into those roles and do pretty well. I, if you're looking at where they probably need to improve or where personnel is an issue, that's not where I would hope personally. So, you know, yeah, and, yeah go ahead. And, and something that really just calls my attention out is that uh, the lack of game time that Ty Green and Georgino James have had, you know, I don't know if it's something that they may not fit the Gerson system, but it's just something that has, like, uh, I'm slowly starting to change that light bulb from, like, caution yellow to, like, alarming red. <laughs> yeah, I think with Ty Green, especially in the Monarchs game, he would have played if not for uh, falling ill that day. I know that's been going around the team a little bit. So certainly that one is an, an outlier. But in general, him not playing just comes down to who else is there. You look at the guys they have along the back line, Kyle Adams, and specifically I've been impressed with Manny Padilla and what he's brought from an outside position. I think the first couple games were a little bit rough for him, but he's shown a lot when he's been in there. So it's just not a, it's just a matter of space, really, and, and having opportunities for guys in that role. So, Greg, have you had an opportunity uh, to visit the the team during practices, or are they, or is it like the like it is mostly with the Dynamo, where they tend to be closed uh, for the most part? You know, the practices are a lot more open than they were under Wilmer, but I haven't been there for too many of them. Usually, they practice in the evening, just that I have to get back to the office and work on the paper after our interviews are done. But I've seen one or two sessions here and there. And what are what are the, some of the things that you can you're able to tell us that you have seen from those practices? I think it's just stuff that you would imagine. I mean, the focus is always on trying to find ways to get forward and trying to create more opportunities just because they've needed that so much. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it's, it's an opportunity to get everybody who's in the mix, even the guys who don't play regularly, a chance to show what they have and to see who who deserves to be out there contributing. I know before I came on, you guys were talking about this a little bit, and Ray touched on it again with Georgino James and finding minutes for him and his role on the team. And I think you get into a dangerous spot as a coach if you're not just playing the guys who perform in practice because then you sort of de-incentivize people practicing well and bringing their full effort every day. So I get both sides of the argument, but I think as a coach you kind of have to reward people who are playing best in that setting. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Jacob? I've said it before. It's the same deal. You just you can go both ways. Really, for me, I would agree. You can go both ways. Sometimes, if a player is not really playing too too well, but if he but if he is um, I mean, if he's not playing too too well in practice, but he's he can be a key player in a game situation, then you have to think about that. Or at least give him a chance to sub him in is my key there. You can have a player that's a super sub that doesn't do too well in practice, but play him in a game as a sub sometimes. Of course, yes, you still have to reward those players in practice that practice well, but sometimes they're not going to end up um, playing well because they get stage right. Yeah, I in general have felt like we should get 
being more time out in Jardino because it's ironic that he's considered this bigger defensive midfielder type of player, but at the same time, he's one of the ones who seems most willing to take a shot and try on goal rather than just kind of pass it around or look for a better opportunity, which I think plagues them a lot of the time. And the team in general seems to have a lot more defensive midfielder types than players who want to get forward. Thinking of guys like Todd Wharton specifically, who's always going to be out there, obviously. But then even Pablo Aguilar and Nicolas Perea, they seem more like the defensive types rather than the types that drive offense to the middle of the field. Which, which is kind of surprising because a lot of people have been that would tell us about these, whether it's Salivar, whether it's Pablo Aguilar, they'd always tell us, oh, well, they're, they're, they're attack, they're attack oriented. And then you, you get this, you know, this, um, take from the dynamo from Wilmer saying, oh, well, we want him to, to be played in the central defensive position because we feel that's where we might get some more uh, development out of him. And if what you're saying is true, then I guess maybe the Dynamo were actually onto something after seeing um, uh, uh, Pablo Aguilar and a little bit of, of Matias Saldivar. Yeah, I really like Saldivar, actually. I thought I think some of the passes that he delivers are really on point and they just great opportunity. Plays that I don't see open or things that I don't think he's going to be able to hit the ball in. He's really created some chances that way. Mm-hmm. So you would see you see him that he has to be like to go through the middle rather than through the wings because I think one of the things that I've that we've mentioned uh, the past I believe two episodes which were times where Matias Saldivar was placed on the wing is that it seems that Mat- that Saldivar gets lost out there that he has to be going through the through the middle uh, to to be or to bring in more danger uh, to this RGVFC offense. Um, Greg, we do have a quick question from our our audience. Um, they mentioned, let me see who it is. Nat, Natty Light says, kind of ignorant here, but what are solutions to the offense problem? Can they acquire a striker or do they have to work with what they have and what the Dynamo signed for them? Yeah, so I was actually just talking about this this week with somebody in the organization. The way it works is a little bit different from the way it works with the RGB Vipers down here in the NBA G League. For the Vipers, they get to sign a lot of their own guys for their own purposes. But with this organization, the Dynamo control essentially everything. Mm-hmm. And there's a few of the executives who vote on certain things when it comes down to a pretty tough decision of whether they want to sign a guy or not. This came up last year when there was some some discussions about potentially bringing in a, not not like a draws book type of player, but a, a name that somebody would recognize who's past his prime and might just kind of spark interest here. But obviously the Dynamo organization had no interest in that because it's not a guy who is going to potentially play for them or work his way up to the system, a young player who can develop. So basically a lot of those things are coming from the Dynamo level, and it's just a matter of if they think it's an issue that they want to address here or if it's a spot where they want to bring somebody in who they think is projectable to the next level. But I don't know how, how many of those talents are out there at this point in the year or how that process would typically work. I know they made a couple of midseason moves last year, and those guys became valuable. And mm. certainly they could use a spark, but I, I don't really think that the players they have right now are that much of an issue either. Like a guy like Quintanilla starting at the top is, is a fine piece. Jordan Jones has shown a decent amount off the bench, or at least that he's athletic and fast and capable of getting into a good position if, if they can play him open. And we talked about the midfielders now. A lot of those guys maybe haven't been perfect or maybe they're more defensively minded, but they're not bad players or people you would want to move necessarily. 
I think if they had just converted a better percentage of the chances that they have been able to create, it wouldn't even be a conversation. And that might just come down to bad luck and something we see change as the year goes on. No, no, he answered my question, and now I don't have a question to ask. <laughs> yeah, and, and, that, he, and that he also answered my question because, like I told you a little bit uh, a little while ago, uh, my dad and I were kind of saying that, like, well, why doesn't why don't the Toros bring in somebody like, let's say, Aldo de Nigris, who yes, he's past his prime, you know, but he would help out, especially in the in to help these these young attackers, you know, develop, uh, earn more ex- earn more experience, agarrar colmillo, like they say in Spanish. But he pretty much, uh, Greg, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. The Dynamo aren't interested in that because they don't benefit directly from signing players like that in this system. Yeah, if you look at the roster, I haven't taken too close of a look at it this year in terms of everybody's age, but when they first started the organization and the team here, the directive was not to have anybody over age 25, maybe. I'm sure they have a couple who are over that now, but they really aim to keep it young players because if it's people that they don't think are going to develop, it doesn't really matter how valuable they are to the Toros, unfortunately, for your guys' perspective. They would rather just see that people have the potential to move up to the next level. Yeah. Yeah, de- definitely. Um, so we talked we talked about this this roster we talked about what can be used to be to make it better from what you say we can already uh we can only hope for some young signings uh during this uh transfer or this transfer uh season you can you can say um the for the summer transfer window uh, but i really i really highly doubt that we might see anything that will shake up the league uh, w- uh, whether it's, you know, for the Toros or for the Dynamo even. And we talked about it yesterday, Sean, on uh, Gen- Generation Orange. It'll probably be a signing that it, that's a young player, even even for the Dynamo, at least uh, on par, if not a little bit over. And you mentioned that uh, over Mauro Minotas. And then maybe you might see, because of that, you might see, we might start seeing more of uh, Mac. Uh, down here in RGV to continue his his development. Yeah, that's actually a question I was going to ask you guys. Um, obviously, it's tough for the Toros to make moves on their own, just like anybody else in soccer, because there's the limits on international roster spots and all the other considerations they have to go through. But we haven't seen a lot this year of guys coming down and contributing to the Toros from the Dynamo. We saw when, when Memo and Mac came down, they created a goal in their one game together. Memo seems to score every time here. And you guys follow the Dynamo more closely than I do, so you know how much they're being used at that level. But I think one way to really spark RTV and to get those guys some opportunities is to have them play here more. Um, I, I think the lack of players going both ways um, and, and more on the emphasis going between the Dynamo to RGV is the result of, and we talked about this two weeks ago, the result of the Dynamo having so many injuries along their back line uh, to key midfielders, um, you know, it, it, the players aren't getting minutes, but they are depth players. They've been on the bench consistently, with the exception of Connor Donovan. They've been on the bench. Bird was on the bench last match, even though he didn't play. He was on the bench. Um, and so they're on the bench. They, they, they're, the opportunity is there. Um, and, and it's just, you know, there's not that there's plenty of depth when players aren't injured, but once players on the, at the dynamo level get injured, 
your depth pool suddenly shrinks and you have to still maintain those backups. You have to have that depth. The only place they're going to look is going to be RGV because those players are there that they can call up and they can pull up. Um, so they're getting the opportunities in practice. Memo's gotten a couple of, you know, a couple of substitution minutes here and there. Um, and uh, Watts had his one <laughs> oh God, 20 minutes of starting time uh, before he got his concussion. Um, and Lundqvist, has, he's started half the matches since he's been here. Uh, and he subbed on in the last match. Um, and I think he may be starting the next match they play, depending on how long it takes for recoveries. But um, the, the point I'm trying to get to, and, and kind of doing it long-windedly, but the point I'm trying to get to is just that due to the lack of, of depth due to injuries, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunately forced the Dynamo to kind of raid the closet, if you will, of RGV's players so that they can maintain that depth. Um, you know, and, and it does, as you know, as I asked you a couple weeks ago, does it not benefit RGV when those players come back? Are they not better players for having gone to the Dynamo? Look at Mac and Memo. They came back to RGV in one match. They proved they were better players than they were before they went to the Dynamo. Yeah, I think the development certainly has helped them from, from both sides. It's just interesting to see that last year it felt like there was a lot more give and take green, but the injury explains a lot of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, to give you an idea of just how injury-plagued the Dynamo have been, I believe we've had every Dynamo defender injured at some point this season. <laughs> That's a ridiculous stat. Um, and that includes depth players. <laughs> it's not just their starters. That includes every one of their depth players to the point that they had a, a midfielder slash winger convert to outside back. He played fantastically, but convert to outside back because they didn't have depth to play anybody else there. Andrew Wenger. And then they had center backs playing outside, kind of like Kyle Adams, same type of situation with mm -hmm. Machado. Um, and I, I mean, even, even this week, um, we had... Uh, we had two defenders leave with one with, you know, one out of over abundance of caution who may have possibly picked up a knock. Another with abundance of caution who may have potentially picked up a knock. So it's it's kind of crazy. Like, I've not seen a, a team go through a season like this with the exception of, like, an EPL team. I can't remember who it was that had a season like that a couple of seasons ago where they just they couldn't get guys healthy consistently. They would have a guy come back, and then within two matches, he'd be injured. And it just feels like that I for the Dynamo I think you're looking right at now. Arsenal. That's, that's exactly who I'm thinking Arsenal. of. That's exactly who I'm thinking of. I, it's just it's crazy. I've not seen – and, you know, so I, I made the joke to, to Cisco, the, the head, athlete, uh, head trainer for the Dynamo, Theron Inns, he left in the offseason to go to Real Salt Lake. And I joked, was he really that important to our injury capabilities, like our injury status? You know, and, and it's, it's unfortunately, I'm like, maybe he really was. Uh, it's almost surprising then that we haven't seen more Toros guys make the move up to that level, just because I think defense from a talent perspective might be where they're the strongest. Yeah. Um, you know, I think part of it is that um, the Dynamo have, you know, that they, they have players that are slowly coming back from injuries that, and they get back, and so they've got the depth, and then those players go in, they play one or two matches, and then they get injured. So there's like this rotation going on of one player gets injured while one guy is coming back. 
So they still maintain the depth, which is why they haven't had to raid the defense nearly as much. But it's just like it's like as soon as a guy gets back within a couple of weeks, either he or his partner get injured, and you know we still don't maintain. You know we maintain the exact level level of depth. At some point, that has to change. Yeah, definitely. We should be getting soon. We should be getting AJD, um, which. Might, I might not be surprised if he might get some minutes with RGV to kind of get himself ma- back to match fitness. Um, so If he hasn't gotten any yet, he's probably not going to get any. Well. I'm just saying. Is he ready, though? Like, is he ready to get minutes, you know, in an official match? That's the thing. I, I, mean, I, I haven't been out of practice, so I can't say. I mean, but I from think- what I've heard, he could probably get substitution minutes at this point. We might see, we might see something maybe like in the next month just to be sure because as well we're in, we're in that position where you really don't want to pr- uh, uh, pressure the yeah rush him back and then he get he gets injured, injured again. again yeah you mean like I mean, Cabezas and you mean exactly. like Watts and you mean like Cinderos um, um, hasn't quite got injured yet but you know we're just yeah. waiting for that any moment <laughs> so um, another question I do have for you uh, Greg but this has to do a lot more with the not in like not the technical aspects, but for example, the front the front office a- aspects, the actually like the crowd aspects of it. Um, what is your thought? Do you believe that this, this organization is uh, is doing everything they can to bring in the fans to the stadium? Yeah, that's a really tough question. It's been a topic of conversation really since they started. And if you just look at the numbers that get reported, that stuff can can be a little bit questionable at times. But the numbers this year are substantially lower than what they were last year. I'm looking at now. I just pulled it up there. Reporting an average of 4,762 fans this year mm-hmm. compared to just over 7,000 last year. So it doesn't feel like the stadium is that much more empty or less at capacity compared to before. But when I've asked them about that change for this year, they basically say that they expect an uptick in the summer when people have more free time and there's a lot of more ability to get to things like this on the weekend or even on midweek games. So I I think if you really want to look at where they might be falling short, it has to be, I guess, one of two things. I, I was going to say it has to be the marketing effort, but I don't know exactly how much they're spending and how much they're working out there. A lot of it just comes down to trade for them, you know, tickets for ads kind of thing that they do, and they get on the local TV stations, and we have plenty of stuff that runs in our paper. Mm -hmm. And then it comes down to how much people are actually interested in that and capitalizing on it from the fans' perspective. I did a thing with the team president, Fred Garcia, last summer where he basically just said, you know, we want more out of the Valley fans. We, we think we're offering you this great project, and you guys aren't really coming out and supporting us the way we think you could. And I think they have a pretty decent point, honestly. Like, I enjoy going to the games and watching them. The venue feels first class like nothing else that exists here at this point. And it's a really fun place to watch games. And the other thing that could be holding them back specifically this season is just the lack of winning. I think the community here... Inverted mitzvahs values winners. They just want to see teams that are going to be successful. They want to know that if they go out, they have a good chance of seeing some goals, which they haven't gotten to see so much this year, and then see a win at the end of the at the end of it too. That was especially evident last year with how the attendance seemed to decrease as the season went on and they were out of the mix. 
Mm-hmm. So this year we'll see if they start to find their winning footing, if potentially that could lead to an uptick. But as of right now, it doesn't appear from the people I've talked to that they're too worried about it. I don't know what's happening behind the scenes or if they're just giving me the answer, that, you know, the, the PC answer there. But it, that's what I'm hearing at this point. Yeah, I've, I've mentioned it before on the uh, on this show. Uh, I do remember that that uh, that interview you had with uh, with Bert Garcia. But one of the things that I, that I did disagree on on that is that whole mentality of build it and they will come. That it seems that that Bert ha- ha- and the organization ha- has had on on the way they run this team. Uh, it seems like okay, here's here's this team, here's the stadium. We're just gonna, uh, I guess, do whatever we can, like with the with minimum budget. But it's the whole responsibility falls on on the on the fans whereas every time i go down I go back to to mccallan you know i start talking to some friends and there's still some friends that have no idea that this that the stadium exists much less the team uh so that i think it's troubling because we're on our third year and the and the fact that there's still people that don't know about it it like i said it, it there's something something's just not not right in the way the, the this is handled um i feel like for example uh ray um going yes. back to that to that uh interview you had when they announced the america versus pachuca game where it was where you asked them okay so what are you going to do to get these fans that come to see these liga mx teams that you guys are bringing to the stadium you know how are you going to get them to convert or, and to come in, and support the toros you know week in and week out and uh if I'm not mistaken, he just made it seem like, oh, like, oh, well, this is this is enough. Just bringing these games to these to the stadium should be enough to to convince people to come and support the Toros. Yeah, I think I think to jump in, one thing that potentially is missing is from the fans' perspective. They, I don't know how much they honestly like respect the team and the level of talent that's here. A lot of them follow the Liga MX teams or they follow international soccer. And when they hear the the USL team, I don't know how much they how much that resonates with them or how much they think that this is talent that's worth going out and seeing. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's really worth considering with this community is just from a socioeconomic perspective that there's not always a lot of spending money to go around for something like this. And they've done everything they can to make it affordable. But you know, when you add in concessions and things like that, it's it's not the cheapest night out maybe compared to other things it is, but there's people who aren't doing any of that stuff who would love to do this, but they probably just feel like they can't afford it or don't want to spend on it. So this is just the challenge that, you know, a more designated marketing expert would be able to give you a better answer, but that's just the best that I can make of what people are viewing the team as right now. You know, one trend that I've been noticing uh, that when the Toros do run this promotion is the uh, family four packs. That's where I've kind of seen like, a, a minimal jump on attendance uh, because I, I mean, in my past experiences and working with uh, independent baseball, indoor football, and even uh, and even in the old uh, in the semi-pro league in which I worked for last season, uh, they had great family packages. So maybe it's just uh, continuing to uh, promote uh, towards the family of uh, fa- uh, fan base, you know, because. Uh, I've learned that here in the Valley, it's just, re- it's a real family-oriented place. I mean, it, as as 
difficult as that sounding, it's like a little bit of a, uh, it's more of a conservative place for like, for like family events. And that's where I've seen kind of like a, a bit of uptick in the, in the attendance. Yeah, and I think family focus is a big part of their marketing effort. If you talk to anybody there, they, they think of it as family entertainment that you can bring the whole family out for a relatively cheap price and be able to see some, some USL soccer. But another thing that I think that just off the top of my head sort of that they probably could be doing more of, and I know it cuts into your profit margin, but it's as simple as giveaways. Like if you tell people they can get a T-shirt if they show up, people are going to show up. Like It's kind of a tried and true thing. and. You know, it's not it's not exactly free to do something like that and put it on, but people love that stuff, and then it it benefits you going forward because everybody wears their polo shirt around around Edinburgh and then spreads awareness and spreads the brand, which is something that I think the tangent a little bit. I think they're doing a decent job of that with the academy system. I see more and more kids with polos gear and things like that that are that are spreading that interest, and hopefully it builds up through the years. But there's a there's a few other things they could be doing now. Yeah, I I have I have not noticed uh, that, uh, or at least with, with for how the the academy, I've been seeing a lot of uh, little kids with uh, toros, whether t-shirts or the actual jersey. You know, when I am like on the mall or or out, you know, playing. And and so that at least that gives me, that gives me hope that you know. There might there might be uh, a, a, I don't want to say silver lining more along the lines of, like there's light at the end of the tunnel uh, when it comes to like building the fan base in the valley. I think the best way to and I've mentioned it before the best way to build uh, the fan base that'll actually that's organically and that'll actually stick would be with the kids mm -hmm. because uh, one of the things that kind of makes it difficult for the adults, especially in the valley, is that we have so many. So many uh, Liga MX fans, and that kind of take it as if, like, if they support another team in this case, the Toros, they make they they, they feel like they're betraying their their childhood team, whether it's Tigres versus America, whether it's Chivas. Uh, whereas the kids, you know, they don't really have that 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 feeling as much towards the Liga Liga MX teams. And so, if you start seeing, you know, uh, the, these. Uh, uh, these kids, you know, going to the games, or you see the players like going out to their schools uh, and and uh, other little activities like that, where there is a connection, a direct connection between the players and and and, and the kids. You know, they start they start falling in love with this team, and I and I think that it, that's a good way to continue to build this fan base, get the families over to the stadium to go watch uh, the Toros. And, uh, Greg, I, I want to throw this over to you, actually, um, because it's something that Edson and I have talked about a few times, as well as uh, I've talked about it with Jacob, too. Um, one of our, our things that I think has been a point of contention, and, and um, I say this as a Dynamo fan first, but also a Toros fan second, um, is the marketing initially when the team came out, or, or kind of the way that the team was presented, um, was that... Uh, they're going to be a competitive year-over-year -year USL team. And and it's interesting because I look at that and I go, I wonder if maybe that skewed perceptions initially a little bit uh, to really what this team is, which is, and, and it, 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 I don't want to hurt feelings, but I'm going to say it, and I'm going to say it honestly, it, it's a farm team for the Dynamo. 
Um, yeah, get over it. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but it's interesting though, right? Because there's a way to market that and still bring in fans and, and you, uh, Edson, Edson, you made me laugh now. Edson kind of, kind of hit on it without even realizing it, which is that you, you, you target the, the younger kids and it's the, this is the future of the dynamo and MLS franchise. You know, this is the future of soccer in this, you know, southern, south, southeastern Texas region. These players that you're seeing, they, they are potentially the future of this area, you know, the future of soccer in this general area. Um, and, and you market that way instead of marketing as, you know, and, and it's not to say the team can't be competitive year over year. But it's to say that maybe by marketing that way as we're going to be that competitive championship aspiring team year over year, which... They probably aspire for that, but if they're being very, very honest, because of the current talent level issues, um, you know the the ceiling. There is a legitimate ceiling there, um, and so. But 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 if you you know it's the future of the Dynamo. You're hooking these kids to not just the Toros, but to the Dynamo. And now these kids, when they see Charlie, uh, not Charlie, uh, Eric Bird. Sorry, not to hurt your feelings, guys. Eric Bird <laughs> go off to the Dynamo and start for the Dynamo, play a match for the Dynamo, even if it's Open Cup, just pe- play a match for the Dynamo. There's that connection, right? And it's not just a connection at the Toros level, but now it's a connection at the Dynamo level. Now their eyes get wide because if this if Bird comes back to RGV and plays a match or two for RGV, now kids that are are getting a chance to see he really is the future, possibly, of the Dynamo. You know, and same thing with Memo, same thing with Mac, um, same thing with potentially, hopefully, Connor Donovan, um, and maybe even Quintanilla. But I think there, I just feel like, you know, from talking to Edson and from talking to Jacob and from talking to Ray and Cesar even, that there's a lack of, of marketing connection there. There's no push to really market those players when they come back. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why would you not market them when they come back? Like that's a gold mine. I mean, sure, it may not increase your overall ticket sales right out of the gate, but long term, in my opinion, as a non-business major, in my opinion, that seems just like it seems like an easy, easy, you know, an easy process to do, an easy connection to make, you know, marketing-wise to go. Hey, let's go ahead and get this guy to maybe do a meet and greet after a match, even if he doesn't play the match he comes back for. If he's there and kids get to go up and talk to him and they're going to ask, hey, I was playing for the Dynamo. What was that like? I mean it just creates this like – you know, that almost like now it becomes a dream type scenario, right? Mm-hmm. This kid's thinking about this guy going and playing for the Dynamo and, and what else could that mean for him in the future? You know, it creates that – it elevates that superhero thing, right? Yes. Like he becomes a superhero. He becomes a role model. He becomes – you know, he becomes a fan favorite. Fans get attached. Um, and I just feel like from talking to Edson and talking to other everybody else RGV that I know, that that is something majorly missing from the RGV marketing. And I know you don't have control over that, Greg, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on that to see if you agreed with that, if you had thoughts related to that, if you had even maybe heard anything related to that. But, uh, you know, it's something I have seen, and I'm really not super invested into RGV. And if I'm seeing it, then I know that that there has to be either an explanation or that's kind of a glaring black hole that needs to be like seriously looked at and addressed. All right. It's actually a really interesting concept. I have a lot of thoughts on that. The the first thing you mentioned that jumped out to me was that 
when the organization formed that they were pitching it as, this is going to be a team that's going to be competitive year over year in the USL. And I think that's just resonated with me because it's the model that I think they followed to build the Vipers here. And the, if you're probably not aware, the, the Vipers are one of the most successful J-League teams year over year. They've probably played in the most finals and tied for the most championships and things like that. And it hasn't led to an outpouring of support here. But people, some people go to the games and they're aware of the team and it's become a, a name brand. Yeah. I think they wanted to do the same thing with Toro. Yeah, and Greg, just so you know, I am, I am I am aptly aware of that. I love Argentina Vipers. <laughs> just thought I'd throw that out there. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> good. But I, I think the Toros have more of an uphill battle because of the stuff we talked about earlier where they don't have as much control over the roster. So I can we can go details since you know a little bit. Like last year, the Vipers were able to sign Darius Morris for their playoff push. That has nothing to do with the Rockets. The Rockets don't want Darius Morris, but the Vipers were able to bring him in to help their team at that point. So I don't think that the Toros have the same flexibility to do that kind of thing. Just my understanding of how the operations work. So I, that's the first thing you run into. Yeah, and, and I just, I, you know, since we're kind of back and forthing this one, I, I agree with you. I think that is one of those things that um, because of the type of hybrid um, relationship that is there between the Dynamo and Toros, and I've said this before, and it was never never meant to be disparaging, but it's an honest truth that it comes down to how does it benefit the Dynamo first and foremost, not how does it benefit RGV. And um, you know, the the one thing I think that's there that that I would imp- I would impress upon the Dynamo more so than the Toros is that they need to keep in mind that those minutes in playoffs, those minutes in in those high pressure situations are invaluable to rookies and young players that you're trying to move along your organization. Um, and, and so, you know, you look at the, the Toros players that, that played in that first couple of playoffs games that the Toros uh, in the first Toro season, and there's a difference in just maturity level, a difference in confidence level, um, you know, and, and you just don't see that with some of these players in the same way. Uh, anyways, go ahead, Greg. You can continue on a point, too. Yeah, well, so then the next point that you raised that I thought was really interesting was just about marketing the team more from an individual perspective. And I think that's something that I've talked with people at UTRGV about this that I think they could be doing to get more interest in the in the college sports around here, too. Mm. It's, it's a thing where I didn't take any marketing classes in school or anything like that, but when talking about sports journalism in the bigger picture and how to get people interested in the stuff you cover, it's about the focus on the individual. People care about other people more than they care about a, a logo and a team name, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, they want. Uh, let me I let think, me let me back that up real quick. They they want the story, the good story, you know. The you know, and usually that's just a single player, or at most two or three players. But they want that story. They don't, you know, the team as a whole does not necessarily have that story tied to it. And and, and so I just wanted to echo that sentiment for you. Yeah. So especially when you think about this specific region and the kind of stuff that excites them. The Valley as a whole has not produced a lot of athletes who have succeeded at a really high level. There's, a, you know, some here and there. But what people get excited about here, and I see this just in the reaction to my stories, is when an Omar Antiveros from, from the area or Victor Garza from the area really gets an opportunity to contribute and step up and shine in that way. So that's the thing that I think they've made some effort to do that this year with their marketing. But to have it be come out and see this Valley kid doing well, rather than have it be come out and see the Toros, which doesn't really resonate with people at this point, just because it's the first couple of years of the organization and it's just a word, essentially. 
mm-hmm. wardens and callers. Uh, I think that that's something that people can latch on more to is the, the individuals and specifically the individuals from here. So I think that's an effort that's being made and maybe they could be being that drum a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. The part that you mentioned about kind of latching on to the individuals who have been to the Dynamo or could get to the Dynamo is interesting, but I don't know how well the Houston Dynamo as an organization resonates with people here. I think if you tell, you know, the average Toros attendee or Valley Soccer fan that you know, such and such player played for the Houston Dynamo, they might be like, so what? Like, I, I don't mean, I'm, like, I respect that in the MLS and all that, obviously, but I'm saying that I think that for people who watch a lot of international soccer or who watch Liga MX, I don't know if those having MLS experience really resonates with them or gets them excited or makes them want to come out more than they already are. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So, uh, Ray, uh, any questions for, uh, from you? Oh, no. I mean, it, it's been it's been real interesting to hear all the stories about, uh, about what it needs to take to grow this brand a little bit more. I mean, it's a work in progress, but I just wish there would be some more risk involved into marketing this team. And I, and I, I think there's something to keep in mind about that too. Um, for for Toros fans and, and and Valley fans in general, is that it's not a one year process. It's not a two year process. That this is is meant to be a, a long term relationship. Mm-hmm. And long-term relationships do not always bear the fruit the first couple of seasons. Um, I do think that there was a bit of a, a, like I said, a bit of a perception that had been set that first season by them doing so well that that would be that was the you know they they set the bar there, and so any team uh, any any future rosters that don't reach that bar don't reach that same level are viewed as less. And that's not necessarily the case. It's you have to understand, and you have to re, you have to you know pay attention to what is the reason this team is here. You know what is the purpose of the team, um, and that's not to say that the team can't go out and be successful. Um, and you know, and you and I talked about this last night. That one of the things I think, and the reason why this is taking a while, and the reason why we saw so many Toros players taken away early by the Dynamo two seasons ago, is because. Um, because the Dynamo did not have that depth to begin with, that talent depth, they did not have any of their own in the closet to pull from, mm-hmm. and they were overhauling their entire roster in the last three seasons, with the exception of one player. Um, and so anytime you have an organization that does that, they have to pull from that depth. If you look at baseball as a good example, when a baseball team is struggling and they tank for the season, so to speak, and they end up with a first or second overall pick in the MLB draft, they are raiding their farm system to find the future players for their team. and But they're going to replenish it, but it's not an immediate success for their farm team necessarily the next season. It may take two or three seasons for that farm team to find and get that talent level back up because – you know, and, and you know, with MLB, it's a little different because you have five layers there to go through, you know, triple A, double A, you know, and single A. But with the Toros, it's just a single sing, – there's a single layer. And so when the Dynamo come and grab players from RGV, they're taking the top, they're skimming the top, and RGV has no nothing to skim the top off. Their bottom level is what is being pushed up 
as the next level of RGV. <laughs> and so you're, you, you know, you're, you're taking the top level talent and slowly making the RGV talent a little lower. But that's a time thing because now you're bringing in these young players, which we've seen over the course of the season, and their talent levels are – not their talent levels, but their quality is increasing over the, over the course of the season to become better throughout the course of the season. So that top level is getting back up there, but it takes time. It's a process. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, we're seeing, we, we're seeing it with that. Uh, I mean, the RGVFC Academy is, is still not ready to uh, give players uh, to the RGV first team. So that's also another part of the process that has to be – that has to – we pretty much have to wait as well as, you know, Brazos Valley, but that's all Dynamo, uh, Dynamo's decision, you know, going back to what you, what you were saying, Greg. Um, about that they have complete control over, over this uh, this roster. Um, so um, one final, uh, Jacob, do you have any other questions? No, I mean, he answered mine when uh, you guys were both, or well, when Sean and him were basically talking about it. So, yeah, that basically yeah, that really sums it up for me. All right. So... Um, I do want to talk about, so I think my final question to you, Greg, is what have you heard in regards to this next Houston Dynamo Open Cup game? Uh, have you heard of any any players that have been called up? I know one for sure that is actually already here in the city uh, preparing uh, for the, this Open Cup match against uh, Minnesota United, and that is Aldo Quintanilla. But have you heard of any other players that might be called up by the Dynamo as well? Yeah, to be honest, unfortunately, I haven't heard too much about that. My understanding in talking to, to Jerson and to I actually asked Todd Wharton about this when he came back down. They make these decisions pretty close to the match time, typically, is what they were telling me. So I figured they wouldn't have a better idea for a couple of days. I mean, they really didn't even announce this group of signings, even if they were already gone until a mm -hmm. day or two before at that. So... It's tough to say, in my opinion, but perhaps they've already figured it out and they're just not telling. Yeah, that, yeah. I guess, I guess. I mean, that's their their way of their way of working it. But like I said, for sure, for sure, we know that uh, Aldo Quintanilla has been called up once again to play against uh, the uh, Minnesota United in Open Cup next Monday. Um, I highly doubt that that uh, the Dynamo that Wilmer Cabrera will call as many as yeah, as many players as he did uh, against uh, North Texas Rayados. I think if last time it was seven, I would assume like maybe three or four might be called up uh, for the for this game as well. And so um, there's also rumors going on. Uh, so Greg, um, if it'd be interesting to see if what you what you hear about this. But I'm hearing rumors that uh, Camilo Monroy might actually be coming back. To RGVFC. Huh. I hadn't heard that, but that would be interesting. He was the kind of guy who provided a little bit of a spark at time last year, mm -hmm. and clearly we talked about they could use that. Yeah. Do you have any? Do you have any or idea why he was released? Because I know he was one of the players that were that were announced as having been re resigned resigned uh, from last season, and then all of a sudden, like he was just he wasn't there anymore. Yeah, I know there's a, I mean, they announced a bunch of guys at the beginning of the year, and then when they go through the whole process of trials, certain guys make the cut and certain guys don't. 
there certainly could have been some outside factors with him. But even with a guy like uh, like Francisco Pungo, who got announced in that same group and then wasn't here when the season started, it just comes down to guys they don't think have the quality to be a part of the team typically. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see, uh, to figure out if there is some validity uh, to this rumor uh, or, or not as well. Maybe kind of have to wait until RGV announces who comes to uh, Houston for Open Cup match. Uh, but before you go, Greg, honestly, it was it was a pleasure to have you here uh, on the show. You brought up a lot of good insights, you know, since you are much closer uh or have more uh, closer relationship to the to the RGBFC organization that that we have uh, so far. But before you go, we know tomorrow is the beginning of the World Cup, the FIFA World Cup. And uh, if you guys are living, we're living under a rock, or if you guys overslept like I did, um, USA, Mexico, and Canada won the bid for 2026. So there's some good news there. Let's see, let's see how, how that's going to work out. There's 23 uh, cities that are in the preliminary list right now that had already been cut down. Um, in the, the final list will be, six, will, will be 16 cities. Uh, and Houston is, uh, is one, of the, one of the cities that, uh, that is on the, on the list. Uh, but before you go, Greg, I'd like to know, what are your number one and number two picks for this World Cup? Well, I'm not the biggest international soccer follower, so I will defer to RGVFC. I, I did a few Q&As this week. It'll be on the monitor.com later tonight or early tomorrow. And it seemed like most people are going with Germany. Connor Donovan went with Germany. Jerson went with Germany. Victor Garza went with Germany. And Kyle Adams went with Germany, too. So if you, if you need a second pick, I'll go with Spain because that's who Todd Wharton took. All right. And when- Wow. <laughs> that's a gunshot. Comanche hurt screaming around the world, folks. <laughs> After what has transpired in the last 28 hours. Yeah, you know what? Wow. I guess you're right. I, I talked to Todd before this happened, so maybe that changes his pick a little bit. <laughs> he said Spain and Brazil, so there could be. Maybe Brazil he wants instead. Yeah, definitely. Um, so... <laughs> Where can, where can our, our audience uh, follow you on uh, uh, social media, and, and how often do, do, you, uh, do you write articles, and when do they usually come out on the monitor? Yeah, so typically the way we cover the Toros is we'll have a story, a feature on somebody uh, of interest before every home game. So, for example, the most recent game uh, against Portland, we had a story about Bryce Marion and Sheldon Sullivan getting to make their first start about or in the game against uh, Monarch, which was actually really interesting because Marion was thrown into a position he had never played before, and I found his story pretty intriguing, mm-hmm. especially his background, too. He lived all over the world growing up, so I would say it's always worth checking out. But basically, it's, uh, every game will have some sort of preview story feature goes up usually, and then uh, try to take a specific focus on a guy, and like we talked about before, just get people interested in the characters and, and the players themselves and what they really are all about and where they came from where they want to go. Uh, in the games, I'll always have my usually updates, sometimes frequently, sometimes infrequently, from my Twitter account, which is at Greg Luca. Mm-hmm. And you can follow all my stories either there or the monitors on Twitter at Monitor News. All right, De- definitely. And we really, honestly, we greatly appreciate um, your your coverage of RGVFC uh, with these with these stories, with your your coverage uh, with with inter- with the interviews in the post game. 
as well as, uh, for example, the live tweets that you usually, they usually have, you know, throughout the game kind of with some uh, explanations. Really greatly appreciate the, like, any, anybody that, that takes, takes their time to, to cover this team to make sure that this team gets known by the, the citizens of the Rio Grande Valley. You know, it's, it, it, it's great, and uh, we, we really love it. Um, so, any last last things that you wanna that you wanna talk about, Greg? We mentioned. No, no, not really. I just just appreciate the kind words from you guys. Trying my best down here, and uh, anytime you want to have me back on, I'd be happy to do it. Definitely, um, uh, it uh, it'd be it'd be great to have you back back again. Hopefully, we can have we can have another chat like this uh, closer to the end of the season, kind of wrap wrapping up and see uh, what kind of I guess you can say a great we can give the, this team uh, towards the end of the season. But uh, uh, we'll, let, we'll have uh, Ray keep in contact with, with you uh, for that. And we hope to see you uh, in the game against uh, Phoenix Rising next week. I know I'll be making Sounds a trip good, down there. Looking forward to it. All right, Greg. Thank, once again, thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the rest, of, the rest of your week. And we'll keep in touch. Absolutely. All right. Have a good night. All right, guys. So that was that was Greg Luca from the Monitor, and uh, we kind of hinted at it without without knowing it. So we'll go ahead and talk about it now that that we have most of us here. Jacob and Ray, what are you? Yo. <laughs> Actually, before we get to that, uh, Ray, do you have any updates on uh, the Coyotes? They went down to the Houston Regals zero three today. Polar opposite of what, how they played last week. Yeah, so I know last week they played against. Uh, uh, rem- remind me who, who who they played. They played the same Houston Regals team in Brownsville. Mm-hmm. And then and, uh, uh, they ended up beating them four to two, and then uh, Houston Regals kind of like returned a little bit of a favor. How about how about, how was oh okay I'm seeing it right now so final score uh, today um, FC Brownsville as Ray mentions uh, visited the Houston Regals but they fall three to zero here in Houston Texas uh, I'd be interested to see I want to see who who scored uh, the the goals for the uh, for the Houston Regals turn uh, another win at home it. They don't mention, even the Houston Regals uh, Facebook does not mention who scored. But it would be interesting to see if maybe uh, Charlie Flores scored. But anyways, so that is a little bit of, of the update for the, uh, for, for the FC Brownsville Coyotes. Um, any idea who, who they play and when do they, when do they play next? Uh, they, I believe they have a whole match scheduled uh, for this weekend upcoming um, at at Brownsville Sports Park, mm-hmm. kickoff seven thirty. All right, so yeah. Uh, let me get you. This is okay. When is it? What's the date for this Saturday? This is April sixteenth. Sixteenth. Okay. Yeah, it's the sixteenth uh, and uh, no man. 
right, it's the June 16th against the Dutch Lions. Houston Dutch Lions. Oh, that's that's it's going to be in, interesting. Yeah, and it's you mentioned. Yeah, because there's a there's a slew of of UTRGV players on that roster. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a little welcome back home for them. Yeah, yeah. So Dutch FC Brownsville and the uh, Houston Dutch Lions will be playing this Saturday at 7 p.m. So if you guys live in the in the Brownsville Harlingen. Uh, South Padre Island, uh, Los Fresnos. Caesar. Yes, Caesar. Um, if you guys live around that area, or if guys from or people from McAllen that are willing to to go and uh, so, uh, and check out the FC Brownsville Coyotes, for the most part, they've done they've done well. Uh, they've gotten some good results uh, at home. So I really would like for people to, if they can, and they're not going to the to the Toros game. Actually, this no, actually, obviously the Toros play away this weekend, so if you can't go in, go out and check out the FC Bronzeville Coyotes, I'm sure I I don't think you'll be disappointed by the way they have been playing so far. Anyways, let's get back to international soccer. I want to get y'all's opinions about this bombshell of a news that two days away from the World Cup beginning. The Spanish Federation sacks their their head coach because he signed with Real Madrid. There's some serious spice. Well, that's you your team, that. isn't it? That's your team, isn't it, Edson? Yes. <laughs> you should feel a little giddy about that. Actually, if you guys, if y'all seen my tweets, I have, I really have not been giddy about the way this has been handled. I think Florentino Perez uh, kind of uh, made a precipita- uh, precipitated decision to announce this uh, at the, with the timing that he did before the, World, uh, before the World Cup, you know, and then now it affected uh, Lopetegui with the fact now he's not the, the manager anymore. It's now Fernando Hierro. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of sad that it, it all went down the way it did. Uh, however, I, Florentino Pettis, uh, being the stunt man that he is with his uh, PR stuff, uh, I just hope that it doesn't uh, it doesn't uh, break the team into shambles uh, come Friday morning. That's what I'm afraid of as well. Because what I've been hearing is that that especially with the remarks with the from uh, Sergio Ramos, I know you guys probably hate him a lot, uh, but Sergio Ramos Ooh. said that, <laughs> that they were they had been that with El Mister uh, with Lopetegui, they had been getting some good results and they were feeling very confident uh, to be able to fight for the for the uh, World Cup championship. And now you, you know everything is pretty much that morale kind of. Is now in shambles now because now you 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 have an inexperienced uh, coach uh, with Fernando Hierro, and then now you, you know, the fact that the way it was handled uh, supposedly um, Lopetegui only told the Real Madrid players that are in the national team what had happened and they leaked it. Some no, it apparently word got out to a non-Real Madrid player. Because of that, he was afraid of how this was going to be handled, so he told Real Madrid mm-hmm. about it, and Real Madrid announced it. 
publicly. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and that's that's what happened according to, if I'm not mistaken, was El Chiringuito TV uh, mentioned that. Um, but let me, let me ask this question before we go really too deep into this. What does it matter? Why does him coaching Real Madrid have anything to do with him being Spain's national team coach? Is it just because they're... Well, go ahead, Ray. No, you go ahead and finish your thought process. I, I was just going to ask the question, is it simply because of the Real Madrid, Barca, Atletico Madrid, you know, rivalries? Or is it, is there something deeper there, you know, within, within the team in general? But I, I'm just curious about that because it's, it's an interesting situation from the outside looking in, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Ray. You know, for me, it's kind of like a, a geopolitical thing, you know. Uh, Barcelona, for for quite some time, or the region of Catalonia, has been looking to separate. And I think with the move that Florentino Perez did, he, he kind of like stirred the pot in the negative way by uh, affecting uh, Lopetegui personally and thus breaking the uh, chemistry that Spain had built all the, all the way through to this point. That's just my take on it. I think my take on it would be a lot of people, the, they're kind of mad, number one, because it is Real Madrid. It is one of the most, uh, if you don't love it, you hate them in Spain. There is no black, for the most part, there is no black and white. So they're the... Golden State Warriors of La Liga. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And so, and especially because f- traditionally, Real Madrid has always represented the, the, the regime in their history, the Franco regime and things. So they have that in their history. So a lot of people that are not necessarily from Madrid hate Real Madrid for that sp- very specific reason. They also represent, obviously, the monarchy. Yeah. They, you know, they're, they're, and so... And then now, taken to the fact that a lot of people take this decision to be Florentino Perez saying, you know what, my team is more important than the national team. And that does not make uh, matters any better, uh, how people were going to react to this. I mean, the fact is, it's not the first time something like this has happened in Spain. the last time it happened, I believe the, the, the coach went on to coach Barcelona or another team. And no, nothing, there wasn't really a scandal. Yeah. This time, the fact, now the difference is that time the coach had already announced saying that he was not going to continue with the national team. Yeah. In this case, Lopetegui had signed, had, had signed a contract extension until 2020. A couple of days later, this comes out. Yeah. I, it, I, I, I have this question as a non-Spanish follower, if you will. I, you know, I asked the initial question, what does it matter? My second question is, or my second observation with this particular thing, um, is that in Spain, I, th- it almost, I get the perception that in Spain, club over country, more times than not. And what I mean by that is if the coach is successful at the national team level and he's helping the team improve and players are backing him up on that, that seems to be a positive. 
wouldn't you want that to continue if you're part of, I don't know, Spain from a national team perspective? Isn't that a good well, thing from – hold on, Ray. Isn't that a good thing from the national team, national perspective? In the national perspective, yes. So here's where I'm going to take this to an, an interesting level, even more interesting than that, is would U.S. fans feel the same way if Tata Martino was the one to be named U.S. men's national team coach and still coached Atlanta United? Would they still – would they have the same reaction? Would there be the same guttural pissed-offness? No. And it just – it's interesting to see that difference because as, a, as a, an observer, it just – it appears to me that it's more important for politics to win the day and for certain Spaniards on certain sides of the aisle to be right – than it is for their national team to be effective and to be successful in the highest stage of the game. Who, who, who cares? At the very least, let the guy finish out the World Cup. He's not coaching Real Madrid during the World Cup. Mm-hmm. So now if Spain goes and burns out in the round of 16, they, I, I swear, if Spaniards turn it around that it's his fault as coach... That they bowed out early, I'm gonna lose my crap. Because it falls on fans not supporting their national team first and putting more emphasis on its more important club level. See, I don't think it's the fans, but more but more of the owners, in this case Florentino Perez. Florentino Perez has always been about how he can grow the Real Madrid brand, how he, you know, how he can grow the club. He really does not care much about how about the national, yeah, team. about the national team. Whereas, for example, you put here, if you see, if you see this, like for example, Tata Mart, even like with Atlanta but, fans, but, but again, I ask this question: Does it matter? I mean, him, co- him becoming coach of Real Madrid and having this contract through twenty twenty. Forget all that. Does it matter? shouldn't a coach is a coach is a coach is a coach success is success is success is success i mean i don't i don't see what the problem is because i mean he's already let's see my my point my point the the reason i i'm asking it so vehemently is it shouldn't matter what flopo does flope does whatever you want to call him shouldn't matter because at the end of the day this is the national team it should have and granted it's totally different in spain but it should have zero bearing and zero pull by what happens at the club level. And the fact that it does is exactly why Spain has struggled in the last two World Cup cycles to be the best team in the world. Because they've, as a whole, it has become more about the club game, more about La Liga success than about the national team as a whole. It shouldn't matter, and it doesn't matter what Flope does because we're the national team, he can do whatever he wants. We still have that coach for this World Cup cycle. Mm-hmm. After the World Cup cycle is over, you make the decision, whatever decision you want to make. He wasn't going to step down. He was more than willing to continue the World Cup. He got the pressure from Spanish media. He got the pressure from Barca fans. He got the pressure from outside. It had nothing to do with players in, in the regime. Right. It didn't, in my opinion, at least. Well, well. I guess you kind of forget what happened eight years ago. Wasn't Spain 
like world champion. That's two cycles ago. I said two cycles. <laughs> I said two cycles. I'm given two cycles. So the cycle from after that World Cup of Basically, as soon as that World Cup was over, they were never the same team after that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I, you, I do agree on that. You give, you give that uh, Brazil uh, exit prematurely uh, where they just, like, uh, you know, they just, like, played extremely flat. And then you have a little bit of change in youth movement, and now you have Florentino making this outrageous move, you know, kind of like, you know, kind of like to be brash and cocky, uh, to show it up to uh, Barcelona fans like, hey, we're three-time European champions. What's the best you can do? Just win the league type of thing? And I think that's what uh, Florentino was trying to send that message like club over country and have that divide. Jacob? <laughs> There's so much to say on this note. Of course, that, yes, he does get the outs. It is club over country in Spain. And it's frustrating, and like Sean even said, two cycles ago, they were World Cup champions, but then they were never the same again because of how it switched in Spain. And it's frustrating. I mean, now you're looking at a Spanish team that could have gone all the way, or could have gone at least close with France, Germany, and even Argentina. And now looking at, of course, I think they have too easy of a group to not get out of, but who knows now? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, tech technically, look at the United States. Uh, they didn't get out of their group of CONCACAF. So, of course, that was a different story, but it's just, in a way, the same deal. You have all these problems, and now you don't even have a head coach. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's um, it, it reminds me, not this particular situation, but the Spanish national team in general and kind of the situation they find themselves in. Reminds me a lot of the situation Germany was in eight years ago, 12 years ago, um, when they had to take a long, hard look at the, the entire process. Um, you know, Bayern Munich has always been a fantastic team. Borussia Dortmund's been a fantastic team for 16-something years. And it didn't matter how good those teams were. The German national team sucked. They weren't great. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it required systemic changes across the board. And, you know... I. I look at what happened with Germany. I look at what's happening with Spain. And I just think it's interesting because I think it's also kind of a FIFA sentiment to some extent that people are growing a bit tired, some people, um, you know, with the, the world game, so to speak, um, because the, the club holds so much more value because they see them so, more so much more frequently. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a serious connection with their the, the the players, with the national team. Sure, it's the you know it's supposed to be the epitome of the sport. But if you ask me, the epitome of the sport is not the World Cup right now. It's Champions League. That is the greatest version of football in the world right now. Yes. And if that's the case, then you know the World Cup isn't the greatest stage in the world. I mean, it's just not when it comes to soccer and. 
you know, that kind of takes some of that luster away from the World Cup and and it makes you kind of go, well, you know, <laughs> as silly as it sounds, maybe some of those Spaniards have, have, have it right. You know, maybe it is more about the club than the country. But then I look at it as a U.S. fan and I'm going, oh, hell no. It's got to be more about the country than the club because right now my country's not in the World Cup because – because we had a terrible coach, but also, you know, systemic issues. Um, but it's just, it's interesting to me. It really is. It's, it's a, it's a larger issue than just the, Oh, you know, he stepped down as coach and, or he was fired as coach. He stepped down. He was fired as coach, yada, 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 yada. It's, it's, there's more to that story, way more to that story than we will ever know. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's just, but it's a highlight of, you know, Spain caring more about perception on the world stage than success on the world stage. I guarantee you that if they would have not fired him and let him finish out, they'd probably make the final. Probably even win. And you're going to tell me it's more important to not win than to win? Just to prove a point? Just to prove a point. And when your national team... And your national federation gets so petty that they get to that point, you will not be successful frequently and consistently because your pettiness will always get in the way. And I just I hope we never get to that point in the U.S. Uh, I was hoping. Or you know Mexico. I think Mexico would be closer to that just due to the fact. I mean, come on. They had they had Diego Reyes on for so long. Mm-hmm. He was injured. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew he wasn't going to make it, and they were like, "No, no, we're keeping him. We're keeping yeah. him." Yeah. It's just until last night where they announced, "Oh, he was been released." It's about perception. It's been released, and now Eric Gutierrez is coming in. How many days did did Eric Gutierrez miss training with with uh, the rest of his national team teammates just because they were too stubborn? to release Diego Reyes for his injury. And and I'm going to I'm going to take this up another level again. If there were players and I've I've read that this may possibly be part of it too. There were players not Real Madrid players that were concerned about this potentially impacting them on the national team level. How petty are those players? Mm-hmm. To be concerned by that. If you're good enough to make the national team, coach is not going to ignore you. He's not not going to play you. And that just tells me that those players are looking out for themselves. And they really don't bleed Spanish colors. And and it just goes back to your point of the fact that they, they put club over country. Okay, oh, so now he's a Real Madrid. Oh, now, even though, like, maybe I've been playing a lot of minutes with him. Okay, is it to the point, like, oh, now, like, okay, so now he's a Real Madrid coach and yeah. he's probably not going to play me because I'm in Barcelona where I'm in Atletico Madrid or wherever team that's not Real Madrid and he's going to favor their Real Madrid players. Like, no, if he, you've gone through the process and you've, he's seen that you are starter material, he's, prof- he's, he's going to be a professional and he's even, regardless of what his new colors are, he's going to say, okay, I'm going to put my – my best team. My forward. best team out yeah. there, and this is the team that has proven to me throughout the cycle to be the best starting eleven. And I guarantee you that they didn't just approach him two weeks ago about this opportunity. They probably approached him before six Zidane, months ago. Maybe, before Sidan you know, announced exactly. So he he's gone through friendly matches and played players, and nobody was left out. So to me, it's just it's a gender driven crap. And like I said, I mean, I, I don't see Spain 
coming close. I really, I mean, I think they make the round of, I think I've got them making their, I, I know I've got them making the round of 16. I don't think they get past the round of 16 at this rate because there's, that just creates so much animosity between mm-hmm. players. You lose that chemistry that you had. Um, you know, and, and it, it's interesting. I mean, if you think that for one minute that England, uh, if if Mauricio Pochettino was named England's national team coach, mm-hmm. that Arsenal fans would be in an uproar, and Arsenal players would wouldn't play for him, you're completely mistaken. Oxley Chamberlain would be out there, and he would be Oxley Chamberlain. Is it? Yeah, him. I had to think there for a second. Um, he would be out there, and he'd be busting his butt, and Pochettino would have no problem starting him. Because Pochettino's a professional. I, I come back to that because it's important. This is the freaking world stage. Grow up. Grow up. And you would expect better from professional athletes. I, there are some prima donna professional athletes out there that, I, you know, it. I. Me personally. There are many times I expect, or I'm not surprised to see this kind of stuff come up. And with how Spain has been the last two cycles in particular, I'm really not surprised at the pettiness shown. If I was a Spanish fan, I would be pissed off. Not that it happened, but that the national team and the federation felt that it was that big of a deal. Because, again, winning should come first. Because, again, you can have a club coach that's a fantastic club coach and a fantastic national team coach. It doesn't – there's no reason you can't have both. And we've had both across the world before. Coaches that have coached teams – club teams and coached national teams to championships. There's no reason it can't happen. Yeah, but, I mean, that decision was taken, and now they're going to have to deal with the consequences. The repercussions are going to be very real, and I think it's going to be really funny to watch Spanish fans and how they take it if and when Spain bows out early. All I know is that the Madridistas are are now, because of this reaction, they're even more, they're su- but, they're but more so supportive fun- now of, uh, yeah. of this coach. Isn't it, isn't it so funny, though, that also because of this, you're seeing more Spanish fans become more club over country because it creates a great, uh, creates a greater divide. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because now Real Madrid fans feel like it shouldn't have mattered. Just let the guy coach. And so now they feel slighted because of Barca fans. And now they're and feeling, they're feeling that all of this is happening because it's Real Madrid. Exactly. Exactly. It As, creates that us against everybody else mentality. Yes. And it creates that everybody else against us mentality. And, it's just it's not it's not productive. So yeah, well, I, I guess whatever happens happens. Um, guys, you guys have any uh, last minute thoughts? No, not at all. Yeah, not at all for me either. I mean, we've said what we've wanted to say. It's repercussions. That's basically all it's going to be. We're going to see how they end up. How they end up? I guess just uh, how they're going to end up uh, facing it after the World Cup. So that's basically all I've got to say. I don't have anything World Cup related left to say uh, other than uh, stay tuned for the Down in the Valley Gaming channel coming soon to a 
YouTube channel slash Twitch channel near you. Yes. Yes, everybody. Um, so what's going to happen is that Jacob and I right now, this is preliminary, uh, Jacob and I, and maybe sometimes Sean, uh, there's, um, we will start, we already opened uh, yet down in the Valley Gaming channel. What's going to happen is we're going to be uploading, you know, games that we like to play. Jacob, you know, you play a lot of uh, football manager. You play also a lot of racing games uh, as well. And I am going to upload uh, FIFA career mode with RGVFC, which is still in the process, uh, as well as we're going to be doing. We have plans to make this grow, mm-hmm. not only the our Down in the Valley regular podcast, but this gaming channel as a supplement and allow it, allow it to grow uh, as well, you know, create, you know, getting to a point like have, you know, guest uh, RGVFC or Dynamo players, you know, uh, come and play FIFA with, with us. Can I have guess a that means change? you need to start taking your, the Xbox with you, huh? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> and so, and all of, all of these uh, different plans. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, so, so, Man, I can't wait to see any of this stuff. Yeah, and so so we should be starting uh, for sure like next next month. There's got to be a lot of preparation yeah, in order is. to see what kind of content we're going to we're going to want to uh, have on the channel. And, and I will say this too: if you have content that you want to see or or that you're interested in or or whatever, uh, send a tweet to down at, down in the RGV, um, and uh, you know we'll 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 take that info down. I say we. I'm, I'm part of this too. Uh, we'll take that info down so that we can uh, plan accordingly. Yeah, definitely. But we know for sure, FIFA 18 slash FIFA 19 will be part of a repertoire. Uh, Project Cars uh, and uh, and Football Manager that be that'll be uh, Jacob's specialty. Um, but we're we're going to be open to um, to suggestions. You know, and, and like maybe you guys want you guys want to talk and let's say some upcoming stuff from FIFA. Mm-hmm. You know, we can we can we can try to do that do that as well. Or any or any any game you want us to try, like on Steam or something, we're we're open to that. So be sure to uh, be be uh, wary of uh, any anna- future announcements that will be made, whether on this podcast or on social media. We'll let you know when we are ready to go live uh, on that. Uh, so. Having said that, Hashtag shameless plug. <laughs> exactly. So, having said that, I do want to remind you: this Saturday, uh, FC Brownsville, 7 p.m., are going to be playing against the Houston Dutch Lions at Brownsville Sports Park. RGVFC will be playing this weekend as well. This Saturday against uh, Oklahoma uh, City Energy. Uh, that'll be away over there in Oklahoma City. Uh, so be sure to, to uh, check out the, that game uh, on ESPN+. Plus. Um, and other than that, that's pretty much it f- uh, for this show. Um, thank you all for, for joining us uh, on, on, on this episode. It was a really good episode. I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, Jacob uh, Ray enjoyed it we i mean we had greg luca sean came on gave gave his thoughts as well his dynamo side <laughs> and a huge shout out to greg luca for joining too that that's that's awesome that uh he would take time out to to join in the conversation yeah yeah that, l- luckily luckily for me he was on vacation so uh it, I'm, I'm glad it, it all kind of uh panned out uh with the uh 
uh, with the postponement of one player and then having uh, having an emergency backup plan uh, ready to rock and roll. Yeah, definitely. And uh, speaking of that, uh, next week uh, we will have uh, Chuy Enriquez on the show, not live. It will be pre-recorded due to some time timing constraints. Are you going to play him FIFA remotely and just record it while you're asking him questions? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Hopefully in the future. That's, that's, but, that's the future way we're going to we're going to interview players. Is we're just going to call him up and play FIFA online while we just record it and ask him questions. <laughs> <He's> just, <laughs> But but yeah, uh, so so Monday we'll, we will have rec- rec- I will record uh, Jacob and I and maybe Ray will will record uh, the interview with uh, with Chuy Enriquez and then we'll we'll post it uh, live on on down in the valley the recording. Uh, and so it, if you have questions that you want exactly Chewy, you want to ask Chewy or have asked of Chewy, uh, send your tweets or your emails, your tweets to down in the RGV or your emails to Edson at down in the RGV dot com. Oh. So, having said all this, I do want to take uh, the time to thank uh, the Beautiful Game Network as well. Uh, for BGN. Our, so be sure to check out their website, bgn.fm. Follow them on Twitter, at the BGNFM. Check out all the other USL podcasts. Check out our uh, website, downinthergv.com. Um, and check out our SoundCloud, uh, inst- uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play Store for for uh, our podcast. And I will hit that subscribe and like if you haven't already. Exactly, and share it with your friends. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Share it with your grandma. Share it with somebody you meet on the street. It's always a good way to just get to know people. Hey, have you seen this really cool YouTube channel that I'm not part of, but that is really cool? <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> So, so, be sure, so help us out in, in, in that regard. We really want to grow. We really want to continue uh, covering uh, RGVFC, uh, letting you all know what's going on, uh, kind of give not, o- not only that, but give the Houston Dynamo uh, aspect as well, how this relationship continues to, to develop. Is it, does it, does it get better in the future? Is it stagnating? You know, we, we don't know, but we want to bring that information over to you. And there's a lot more that we, that we do have uh, planned to make this podcast uh, grow, but we can, only, we can only do it uh, through your continued support. I was just waiting for you to say we can only do it through your continued support of donations, and you can send those checks and money orders to Edson at art the art, down in the RGV.com. Just kidding. No, no, no. Actually... <sighs> <laughs> the thing about it is, is like, if you guys want to, want to support us, obviously everything costs money. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. So we will try to have some sort of. I know last past Friday, uh, Saturday, you know, uh, Jacob and Cesar had uh, had the raffle uh, for as our fundraiser. Uh, I will go ahead and uh, re re upload the the shirt designs. Mm-hmm. So if you guys if you guys like them, be sure and you guys want to support us, be sure to buy a shirt whenever they go live. I'll go ahead and I'll announce it when when they do. Be sure to uh, be sure to buy buy a shirt and uh, help us out in that re- in that regard, so we can continue to grow um, this uh, this podcast for you. But having said this, I think it's time for us to say goodbye, goodbye. So, all right, guys, um, Jacob. Awkward. Seems legit. Um, Jacob Ray, thank you so much for joining us. Sean as well, thank you thank so you much. Guys. 
Thank you so much. We'll see each other uh, next week for uh, episode 25 of Down in the Valley. We're quarter at quarter of a century. Exactly. Never thought I'd make I'd make it this we'd make it this far. Actually, never thought I'd make it this far when I first started, but it has grown so much and it and it, there's a lot of potential to grow. So, thank you all. Have a good night. See each other next week. And hashtag we are Toros, hashtag Somos Toros, but more importantly, never forget this, hashtag Forever Orange. Take care. I can feel it, but it's through my